Welcome to all those joining us online. I know we've got several. It's, it's been interesting. We've had several weeks of bad weather and then two holidays. Um, but it's been interesting to see how many have joined us from lots of locations. I'm going to grab a rope over here. Francis Chan, some years ago, he gave an illustration. And as I was working through the message uh, that we're going to talk about today, I felt like it, it helped to highlight what I'm trying to bring across. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to utilize it. This, it. this rope goes on forever out that door. I want to talk about it. And what he uses for, and what I like about it, is it gives emphasis to the fact that so often we concern ourselves, if we look at this as a timeline of our lives, we concern ourselves with these 70, 80, 90, however many years that we've got on this earth. This this is what this represents, this tape here. When in the end, we lose sight of the millions upon millions, I could just pull it and pull it and pull it, it never ends. And so we concern ourselves with this aspect of our lives when Christ tells us over and over, he calls us to be concerned with this part of our lives. And there's a difference in the way that you live when you're living for this segment or when you're living for eternity. You make different life choices. The way that you live your life is completely different. It's radically different. You really don't concern yourself very much with this segment because you realize this is but a blink. It's but a glimpse And anybody that's in this room that's 70, 80, 90 years old will tell you that. It's but a blink. This is what we need to concern ourselves with. This is the part that never ends. I like the movie Gladiator. Maybe I shouldn't confess that. In it, though, there's a great spiritual line. I actually have it as a quote in my office. Russell Crowe says, what we do in this life will echo in eternity. That's a great Christian truth. What we do in this life will absolutely echo in eternity. So my challenge for you is, at some point in your walk with the Lord, at some point as a Christian, you've got to make a shift in your life to where you're no longer adding Jesus to your life, living for this one, to where you've now made Jesus the center of your life, and this is what you concern your life with. It changes your goals, it changes your priorities, it makes a difference as you look at the year gone by and the year moving forward and what you want to accomplish. Because it's all defined in what God would say is important. For Shelly and I, this is why at some point we made that shift in our thinking that we could then take ourselves and young kids to places like Khartoum, Sudan, to the West Bank and to Jerusalem because we stopped being concerned with this segment of our lives and we started being concerned with eternity. So my hope for you, I'm going to tell you this as, as we get into this message, is not only in this message but as we move into 2017, is that if you have not made that shift in your thinking, if you've not made that shift in your life, Lord, may, may he lead you to that this year. So if I could give you a New Year's resolution, may you stop living for the segment on the end, and may you start living for the rest of eternity. May you make your decisions and life priorities and practices according to that standard. You know, because we know a new year brings with it an opportunity to reflect on the year that's, that's gone by. Many people begin to make plans for the new year. They want to maximize their potential for 2017. And so they begin to chart out plans and progress and and what can I do to do that? We've started to organize our home a little bit more. How can we help our kids do some things better? How can we do things better? And as I look back on last year, it's my desire to examine, to evaluate, to answer the question, did I accomplish God's purpose for my life last year? That's what I want to know. In other words, did I bring God glory in the way that I lived? 
And maybe you've never asked yourself that question. I hope that you start. Maybe you've never even thought about the meaning of life. Maybe you have too much and you haven't really looked at Scripture to find that answer. Maybe that's deep for a Sunday morning, but I really think it's important. It should be if we understand the meaning of life, it should drive the rest of what we're doing with our lives. And the short answer that we find in Scripture is that we've been made to worship. And so because we have a heart that's bent toward worship, we are going to worship something. God tells us what it should be. Oftentimes it turns into sports or, or family relationships even, work. And, and none of these things are bad things, don't get me wrong, but when they're not in the right perspective, when they're not viewed in light of eternity, we can miss what we're meant to worship. We're created to worship God, to fulfilling his desire for our lives. And when you dedicate your life to fulfilling this purpose, you experience the rich and satisfying life you've been promised. Why have so many Christians not experienced that? Because they have yet to find out that they were made to worship God. They're living for this part when they're meant to be living for this part. And until you make that shift, you're not going to experience that rich and satisfying life. You're not going to find that peace and joy that your heart longs for. I'm convinced of it. So the question I'd like to answer this morning is how do we maximize our potential in life? We get to look at a new year. We begin to ask those questions. So I want to answer that question this morning. I would like to know, in other words, how do we bring glory to God with our lives? This should be the chief goal of your life this year. I pray that it really is. May you be consumed with an understanding, God, how can I bring you glory with my life? How can I fulfill your purposes and plans? And the answer, we can find it, of course, all throughout Scripture, but I'm going to focus on John chapter 12 this morning. So we're going to take that quick break from Luke, as I mentioned, for the purpose of focusing the beginning of our year on a time of prayer and fasting to help us focus our desires on Christ and His coming kingdom. May we think in those terms. So if you have your Bibles... And I do hope you do. If you don't, there's a Bible underneath your seat. You can grab one from there. But we're going to be in John chapter 12 this morning. And we're going to be reading verses 20 through 26. I'm going to invite you to stand also as we get into God's Word, simply out of reverence for the fact that God's Word is in our midst. So John chapter 12, verses 20 through 26 this morning. Now among those who went up to worship at the feast were some Greeks. So these came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and asked him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip went and told Andrew. Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. And Jesus answered them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. If it does die, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me, and where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Amen. These are the very words of God. You may be seated this morning. So for those that might be new to the church, before Shelley and I arrived at Connection Point, we lived and worked in Jerusalem, Israel. We ran a school for Palestinian youth, led an international church in Jerusalem, 
and also served as Live Dead team leaders for East Jerusalem and the West Bank. Now, Live Dead, this phrase, it simply refers to the crucified life. Living dead is simply living the crucified life. We find it all throughout the New Testament. But it also refers to an intentional church planning effort amongst unreached people in teams. And so that was what we were doing. That was our focus. So when I mention the title Live Dead as we look at the the title of the message, it's simply referring to the crucified life, which we are all called to live. You know, living dead is not original or unique. Christians across time have all been called to live the crucified life. To better understand what it means to live this way, to live this kind of life, to grasp the profound potential each of us has to impact the world. It's within you. God has it there, but there are some things we have to do to realize that potential. I'd first like to look at an event from the Passion Week of Christ, the week leading up to the crucifixion of Jesus, to help us better understand the context of our passage this morning, that which we just read. You know, every year in March or April, churches all across the world, they celebrate Palm Sunday, the day commemorating Jesus' triumphal entrance into Jerusalem. We know the crowd greeted him with palm branches and shouts of Hosanna, which means save now. And they quoted Psalm 118.26, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, blessed is the King of Israel. So they're quoting a psalm. And at first glance, this sounds wonderful, but basically what they're doing is they're telling Jesus what to do. Because Psalm 118.25 declares, Save us, we pray, O Lord. O Lord, we pray, give us success. So the crowd is telling Jesus to save us now, which is exactly what Hosanna means. Save us now. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, and blessed be the King of Israel. What they wanted was a king, and they wanted him now. They wanted him to declare war on Rome. They wanted a fight. They wanted him to give deliverance and freedom. And of course he did, but not in the way that they anticipated. And so they come out bearing palm branches, greeting him with the crowds as they had welcomed a great military hero, Judas Maccabeus, decades earlier. So this was a familiar way to to recognize a great hero coming into the city. It's still customary to have parades where we honor those who have served their country. And so they had palm branches in Jerusalem, especially in Jericho, where they probably brought those from. And so this is what they're using. They're going to use palm branches to recognize Jesus as he comes in. They celebrate the coming of Jesus, but they tell him what to do. Save us now. You be our king. And it's not unlike our present day, where there's lots of people with lots of agendas, and they're happy to welcome Jesus, providing he does as he's told, and he furthers their agenda political, social, financial, moral, relational, whatever agenda it might be, they're anticipating Christ's coming and they're going to hand him their agenda and ask that Jesus do as he is told. But what we find beyond this text, after Jesus is greeted with, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, is a week later, there's another crowd and they're crying out in frustration, crucify him. And although this is a different crowd, they too were awaiting a Messiah who in their minds would come to overthrow Rome. Jesus didn't meet that expectation. He didn't do what they wanted in a Messiah. So crucify him. We had an agenda. We told him what to do. He didn't do it. So put him to death. And that's how it is. When we come to Jesus with our agenda, we find that he has his own. And then we have to decide 
Do we worship our agenda or his? Will we die to our plans and trust that God knows what is best? To bring glory to God with our lives, we must live dead. To bring glory to God in eternity, we cannot concern ourselves with this segment of our life. To bring glory to God as we look at our passage, we see among the nations, we must live dead. The section of scriptures we're looking at, it's sectioned off in my Bible, maybe in yours, it says, some Greeks seek Jesus. This passage shows God desires to be glorified among the nations. And if you've been here for a year and you haven't caught on to that, I don't know, I'll go back and listen to some messages, I guess. But he does. In verse 20 and 21, we read that some Greeks approach Philip about seeing Jesus. At the time of Passover, worshipers would come from widely scattered places all throughout the Mediterranean so that they could join in on the festivity. These Greeks came, but they were forbidden to pass beyond the court of the Gentiles in the temple. So the Greeks, they want to meet Jesus. They said, we desire to see Jesus. But they wanted more than just to see him with their physical eyes. Anybody could do that from a distance. They wanted to talk to him. As he moved among the people, they wanted a personal and intimate encounter with him. It's what their souls craved. The same thing that draws people to Jesus today. Does your soul long for an opportunity to see Jesus, to know him? The Greeks, the Gentiles, they pursue him because the Son of Man is for all mankind. In the verse before this passage, we find the Pharisees talking with one another and saying, the world has gone after him. And now we see the Greeks were a first fruit of a coming harvest. God is meant to be glorified among the nations. We know this. And next week, as we host our first Connection Point Missions Weekend, we're going to have these every other month. I encourage you, make sure you come back here. You'll, you'll hear from Mitch and Debbie Martinez. They'll come and talk in the morning and give us uh, an update on what's happening in the Dominican Republic. Come back in the evening. We'll host them for a conversation on Main Street so that you can ask them questions and find out what even led you to the place where you wanted to go overseas. And then come back on Monday night, January 9th, where we have a global prayer event in here. We set out all of these regional maps so that we can pray for the nations. So I encourage you, we know God wants to be glorified among the nations, and you have a part to play in that. Show up next week, and you can be a part. We'll set the stage. God desires to be glorified among the nations, and he uses people to connect others to Christ. To bring glory to God among our near neighbors, where we're at, we must live dead. You know, as we get into verse 22, we find that God's desire is to use us in bringing others into a relationship with him. We read that Philip, he didn't go straight to Jesus, but he first consults Andrew. And there could be some reasons for that. You know, Jesus initially, when he sent out uh, instructions for the 12, he said, don't go to the Gentiles and the Samaritans, go to the people of Israel. And then later on, as Jesus is ministering to a Canaanite woman, he says, I was only sent to help God's lost sheep, the people of Israel. But now Philip, he doesn't go to the Greeks and politely tell them that Jesus does not want to see them. So even though he's been given these instructions, he knows something's up here. The world truly has come after Jesus. Jesus enters Jerusalem to the acclamations of the multitudes, both Jews and Gentiles, which he accepted without protest. Jesus also cleansed the temple, specifically the court of the Gentiles. When Jesus overturned the tables, he was in the court of the Gentiles because he did not want anyone to not be able to have access to God. So after Philip consults Andrew, they approach Jesus and tell him about the Greeks. 
you serve as an entry point for people to know Jesus. You have the ability, like Philip and Andrew, to lead people to the King of Kings. Your neighbors, your co-workers, your friends and family, they all have access to Jesus simply by knowing you. Are you bringing others into a relationship with him? God desires to use us to connect people to Jesus so that he might be glorified among all people. The last point is this, is that to bring glory to God with our lives, we must live dead. If your chief aim is to bring God glory, there's something that we have to do. We know that Jesus is glorified in his death and resurrection. And this is now what he alludes to in the next few verses. In verse 23, Jesus seemingly ignores the Greeks as he makes no reference to them as he begins to talk. His words seem to be addressed to a wider audience, obviously including the Greeks. Their coming is important. It's evidence that his assignment has reached its climax and that he is now to die for the world. This is what Jesus is pointing to. The rest of the chapter, it completes his ministry so that true and spiritual conversation with Jesus can begin on the other side of crucifixion. The message of Jesus is a message for the whole world only because of the cross. Verse 23 reads, And Jesus answered them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. So the hour has come is not tragedy, but it is triumph. Jesus would not be dishonored, but glorified by the way of the cross. We miss that sometimes. In verse 24, Jesus then introduces a statement of importance. He says, truly, truly. Some versions will say most assuredly or verily, verily. I don't even know what verily means. Do you? Truly, truly, that's what it means. (laughs) But in other words, here's what Jesus is saying. Hey, pay attention here. What I'm about to say is really important. We know that people had seen Jesus' triumphal entrance and hoped he would soon establish his kingdom. So he tells them the time has come for him to be glorified, but not in a manner that they expect. It was to be by his death. Here's what verse 24 says. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Jesus here is announcing his death. Here's what he's saying. This is how it's going to work. I'm going to bless people by dying. And that just doesn't make sense for the disciples. It doesn't make sense for us in the the human nature. To them, the best thing would be for Jesus to continue his ministry. Things were finally working. We started with a few, and now we have a multitude. Momentum is in your favor, Jesus. The ministry is growing. Everything is turning. So why die now? If you really want to change the world, Jesus, live for a long time. Travel. Preach. Do these things that you can do. Raise some people from the dead. That always draws a good crowd. You know this is what the disciples are thinking. This doesn't make sense to them, and really it doesn't make sense to us. But Jesus says, no, this is how it's going to work. I will die, and that's how we will get this done. The hour has come for me to be glorified. And how will I be glorified? By dying. So the way of fruitfulness, it lies through death. Unless the wheat falls into the ground and dies, it will not bear. It is while the seed is in the ground that it receives nourishment. Ask any farmer here, they'll tell you that. So here's what this means for us. It is while you are in the state of dying to self 
that you are best suited to derive support from God and receive needed nourishment from Him, becoming a greater witness for Him and His kingdom. Please don't miss this. This is how the crucified life leads to a life of purpose, how it leads to meaning and life everlasting. It is while you're in the state of dying to self, you actually have to embrace this. You need to follow in the footsteps of Jesus and say, I will die so that others might live. Jesus wasn't just buried in the ground. He was planted. We know that Jesus' death on the cross, his burial, his resurrection, it bore the fruit of billions becoming followers of Christ. So we look at burial and think, well, that's not a great thing, but it's not burial. It was a planting so that resurrection could come. We cannot experience resurrection if we don't first embrace crucifixion. Shortly after we moved to Jerusalem, our kids began to face some challenges. So Nate was four at the time. We enrolled him in preschool. We had had about a year and a half in between Sudan and Jerusalem so Haley could be born. And as we headed back, Nate was chewing his fingers down to a nub. He was experiencing diarrhea. He had a nervous stomach. Because back in the U.S., he had friends and family that loved him. And now we've brought him to a place that's in constant conflict. It was a stressful environment. Most of the kids only spoke Arabic. So it was hard for Nate. And it was hard for Shelly and I to see that for him. You know, Shelly and I, for a couple of times over, we've bought and sold homes and furnishings and cars. And, and we've done that without thinking twice because none of those things matter. The only things we get to take with us in this world are each other and our kids. So it was hard for us to see that for Nate. And about a month uh, a month and a half of our time of being in Jerusalem, before we had gotten there, our daughter Haley, so she had just turned two in Jerusalem, but six months before, she was experiencing spiking fevers, so like 105, 106, 107 ridiculous fevers, and it caused her to have a febrile seizure, and the doctor said, it's okay, this does happen, but if it continues to happen, it's going to be a problem. So we got to Jerusalem, we're there about a month and a half, and in that time frame, uh, Haley started having spiking fevers again, we were trying to control it with medicine, and it got to the place one morning where it was really bad, so I brought her out to a small cot where I was having time to read and to pray, and out of the corner of my eye, I could see that she started to seize again. She started to have a seizure. And so I called for Shelly. We just began to pray and say, God, heal our daughter. And in that moment, God spoke to my heart. He said, can you trust me? I said, what do you mean, God? Can you, can you trust me with your kids and your wife? a hard question from God. But the God who created the heavens and the earth, can he be trusted? Can he be trusted? Yes. Absolutely. So of course my answer had to be yes. How do you say no to God? We knew he could be trusted no matter what. We can trust God with all things and by doing so the life of Jesus is seen in us. As you read through Paul's writings, you'll see this common theme throughout all of his books. To bring glory to God with your life, you must live dead. Paul lived this principle, and he changed the world. If you live this principle, you will change the world. Jesus makes this clear in verse 25. He says, whoever loves his life, he loses it. Whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternity. If you love a worldly life, if you love this part of your life and are committed to it, it still has a hold on you. And if I could encourage you this year, let it go. When you start living for this life, you'll experience the life you've always wanted, the one that Jesus promises. And this is difficult because we live in a world that pushes us to pursue greatness. It says, take all of your ability and skill and maximize your potential. Become glorious. Be capable, competent, strong, secure, and independent. It often ends up as self-worship, as idolatry. 
the whole goal of your life turns into you getting your own glory, setting up your own fame, and chasing your own reputation. This is the American life. Our world is based on that, and some Christian theology goes right along with it and says, love Jesus, he'll make you rich, he'll make you happy, he'll make you brilliant, he'll make you powerful, he'll make you victorious, because people don't want to be inconvenienced. They'd rather say, well, I'd love for Jesus to bless my agenda. I'd love for Jesus to forgive my sin. I'd love for Jesus to go to the cross for me, provided it does not in any way inconvenience the comfort and security of the life that I've built for myself. But that theology looks nothing like Jesus, and it looks nothing like what Jesus taught. Jesus says, lose your life, hate your life, serve, and die. But this is difficult especially daily, unless you're spending an extravagant amount of time with Jesus every day. Taking time every morning or evening to read the word, to pray, to meditate, to worship, to journal, to gain the mind of Christ. Without this practice, you cannot live dead. And really, this is a two-part sermon. The first is live dead. The second is abide in Christ. But if you've been here for a year, please, Jesus, I pray that you know about abiding by now, right? I hope so. But you know what? It still takes discipline to do it. You've learned about abiding, but the question is, have you applied that to your life? I've preached on it probably about every other month, but I hope it's in your life and practice in some way. If it's not, make that a resolution. May I abide in Christ this year because he's worth it. Jesus is worth it, and there's no other way to daily die to self. In verse 26, the outcome of death to self, it's service to Christ. Here's what Jesus says. If anyone serves me, he must follow me, and where I am, there will my servant be also. So Jesus is saying, imitate me, do what I do, bear what I bear, and love what I love. Being where the Lord is, it does sometimes entail hardship. It means losing your life for the master's sake. This is the way of genuine followership. In essence, Jesus is saying, you see me triumphantly entering Jerusalem. You thought my kingdom would be set up without opposition or calamity. But no, I am to die if you will serve me and follow me even in times of calamity and are willing to endure and bear shame, then look for a future reward. We're to follow him to calamity, but then what? Then the Father will honor you. The Father will bestow upon you glory. So what he's saying is, bear what you must bear in this life and forever you live in my glory. Is that not a promise? Why can't we hold on to that promise? Verse 26 ends, if anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. We share in the glory of Christ for all of eternity. We are honored by God as we live the crucified life. What a promise. When you live in light of eternity, you can live dead. To bring glory to God with your life, you really must live dead. So there's two areas I'd like us to purpose ourselves to as a church to die to over the next 21 days, and it's with food and time, these two things. There's different areas, and I would challenge you as we enter into this time of prayer and fasting, seek the Lord and ask, God, are there areas in in my life, things in my life that I need to die to? You need to ask that, and he's going to speak a different word for each one of us. So we're going to die to time by committing extra time to prayer over the next 21 days. And I'd like to spend the first three days together doing that. So I want us to come together tomorrow night, Tuesday and Wednesday, for an hour of prayer, 6.30 to 7.30. We'll sing a couple of songs. We'll spend some time in prayer. Please bring your new prayer guides with you. You should have got these on your seat this morning. If there wasn't one there for you, they're in the seat backs as well. So these are the prayer guides for this year. Bring them with you. We're going to take some notes. 
Stick the prayer points in there as well. We're going to cover those so that we understand how we're moving forward in prayer. So bring these with you so we can pray. And then we die to physical appetite. We die to food through fasting. Fasting is an intentional dying to physical hunger out of a desire to experience more of Jesus. A temporary giving up of something that is in itself good in order to intensify our expression or need for something greater. God and his work in our lives. I want to read from Luke chapter 5. There's two passages in the New Testament I want us to look at as it relates to fasting. First is Luke chapter 5, starting in verse 33. I'm flipping there too, so you should have time. So Jesus is getting questioned about fasting by the Pharisees, and they said, And they said to him, the Pharisees, The disciples of John fast often and offer prayers, and so do the disciples of the Pharisees. But yours eat and drink. And Jesus said to them, Can you make wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast in those days. He also told them a parable. No one tears a piece from a new garment and puts on an old garment. If he does, he will tear the new, and the piece from the new will not match the old. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the new wine will burst the skins, and it will be spilled, and the skins will be destroyed. But new wine must be put into fresh wineskins. And no one after drinking old wine desires new, for he says the old is good. So here's what Jesus is saying in this passage about fasting. Jesus is saying that for his disciples, they don't fast while he's with them. He is the bridegroom present. We don't fast when the bridegroom is with us. But when he's gone away, he says, which he has, he's gone back up into heaven, then the disciples will fast. And what that seems to indicate is that fasting is a way of expressing our longing for our bridegroom, King Jesus, to come. It's a connection between fasting and the second coming of Christ. One of the meanings of Christian fasting is that we're expressing our hunger for the Lord, Jesus, to come back and take up his kingship into the world. What sets New Testament fasting apart as unique, new wine that can't fit into old wineskins, this is the context, is that Christ has already come. The bridegroom, the king, has already been here. We have seen him and we know him. We're reading about him as we go through Luke. We love him because we've tasted of his presence even here this morning. We have already tasted the presence of the kingship of Jesus. So fasting is not merely hoping and longing and hungering for or aching for something future. It's based on on already and not just a not yet. The king has come. He's died for our sins. He's risen from the dead. He's gone away up into heaven. We already have the down payment in our hearts of his presence and his spirit, but we long and we hunger for the consummation of the day is his return, of his coming and his reigning. So fasting expresses more than a longing for Christ or a hunger for his presence. It's a hunger that's rooted in, it's based on an already present experienced reality of Christ in history and in our hearts. So from Luke 5, we find that we fast out of a desire for more of Jesus in 2017. How many would like more of Jesus in 2017? So that's one reason we fast out of Luke 5. And the second comes from Acts 13. So let me turn to Acts 13, first three verses. It says, Now there were in the church of Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menean, a long-life friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were there worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. 
So the leaders of the church were fasting, it seems, in order to express to God of their own need and longing and desire within their bodies for God's guidance and for church breakthrough. This is what they're asking. And God responded with an answer that totally transformed the world. Because the mission Barnabas and Saul or Paul was one of the most important endeavors in the history of the world. Because the advancement of the story of Jesus broke into the Western Roman Empire and nothing in the world has ever been the same since that breakthrough. So from Acts 13, we find that we fast out of a desire to experience spiritual breakthrough and to for, and so that we can see the multiplication of the church in 2017. So Acts or Luke 5, we want more of Jesus in 2017. Acts 13, we desire the multiplication of your church, King Jesus. Can we fast and pray for those two things? That's what we want to do this year. Fasting is a way of saying with our stomach and our whole body how much we need and want and trust Jesus. It's a way of saying we're not going to be enslaved by food as a source of our satisfaction. We'll use the foregoing of food from time to time to express that Jesus is better than food. Jesus is more needful than food. We fast from food so that we feast on the Lord. Now, there's three ways I'd like for you to consider fasting. The first is the Daniel fast. We see this in the book of Daniel, the prophet Daniel, in, in Daniel chapter 1. And simply what it is, is it's foregoing of animal products, so meat and dairy. It's fruits and vegetables and nuts. So you simply get rid of some things but continue to consume others. So it's a partial fast. And if you want resources, you can find those online. So you could fast for 21 days in the Daniel fast. Second thing you could do is you could simply skimp lunch for 21 days for the purpose of taking that as an extra 30 minutes to an hour in prayer. So again, we fast from food so that we can feast on the Lord. So maybe you can't do the Daniel fast, but could you give up lunch for 21 days to say, Jesus, we want more of you in 2017. And the last way is to forego food for 21 days where you're going to say, uh, Jesus, I want more of you. So you could, for three different opportunities, breakfast, lunch, and dinner, say, Jesus, I'm going to dedicate more time to you for 21 days because I want to see great things happen in 2017 in my life and the life of my family and the life of our church. Now, I do know today is New Year's Day. Is New Year's Day a time of fasting? Come on. Is it a time of fasting? No. It's in the Bible. There's a time for feasting and there's a time for fasting. So today is a time of which one? feasting. Tomorrow will be a time of? That's it. So today, enjoy time with friends and family. Enjoy a time of feasting with them. It's, it's biblical. It actually is. And then we're going to start tomorrow, 21 days. So it would end on uh, Sunday, January 22nd, a time of a fast. And I know as we dedicate our time to this, as we live dead to food and to time, God will absolutely bless the trajectory of our church in 2017. So 21 days of prayer and fasting, seeking a greater presence of Jesus in the multiplication of the church in 2017. These really are two promises the Lord has given me for this year, but I also know we have a part to play in that. God gives promises, but we, there are divine partnerships. And so may we do our part to see God do what he wants to do in the life of this church and in your life. So the question is, will you be a part? I pray that you will. And one of the ways I'd like you to learn more about what it means to live dead, to live the crucified life, is to work through a great devotional 365 days of living and dying with Jesus. It's called the Live Dead Joy. It's written by a guy I worked with in Sudan. It's a great devotional. If you would like a copy of these, I've given these already to the deacons and to the staff, and they've started working through this. Uh, you can sign up at Main Street. They're $15 if you order them through us. I think they're $20 online. There's also an ebook copy on Kindle and on iBooks, if that would be an easier way for you to get that. I talked to Dick. He's going to try to get it to 99 cents. So you could check back on Kindle in the next couple of days and see if it gets there. 
If not, I think right now it's $8.50, so it's still cheaper than $20. And know that all the proceeds go to establishing the church in the parts of the world where it does not exist. So you're simply making a mission donation. So no matter what, I'd like us for all to be a part. So if you want a hard copy, you can sign up. We'll order you one. If you want a digital copy, you can download it today or wait a couple of days and see if it goes down in price. But may we, here's my admonition. I want you to have these three things. A devotional, your Bible, and a prayer guide. And if you walk through this for a year, I cannot wait to see what God will do in your life. I really can't. So I challenge you, pick up these three things and for a year, walk through this and see what God begins to do in your heart, in your life, as he begins to reveal to you, these are things that if you die to, I will triumphantly live. To bring glory to God with our lives, we have to live dead. You know, shortly after Shelly and I experienced that episode with Haley, and God was asking for greater depth of trust in him, it was like something just broke loose in the spirit world there. Because within a couple of months, we took part in a baptism, water baptism service of a young man who gave his life to the Lord, turned his back on Islam, started following Jesus. And I can tell you, it's a rare, rare occurrence that you get to see with your own eyes a baptism of a Muslim that becomes a Christian. And that happened within months of that episode. And then the next year, if you were here for Jeff and Marianne, when they shared, Marianne talked about how she led a Muslim teacher to the Lord who began to follow Jesus. And then the year after that, as we began to set up the church there, we began to see families uh, families and both Muslims and Israelis begin to turn their hearts to the Lord. And that's just what God does. And that doesn't even mention the church planning movement that God is doing incredible things. Thousands upon thousands now who have given their lives to the Lord. And I'm not saying that what happened in our lives there, that Haley seizures led to those things. But what I do know is this, is that as you purpose yourself to live solely for the Lord, something in the spirit world happens. Unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. So will you commit yourself to bringing glory to God with your life this year? Will you start living for this part of your life instead of this part? Will you live in light of eternity? Will you live dead to your time and spend an increased amount of time in prayer for the next 21 days? Will you live dead to food out of a desire for a greater presence of Jesus and the multiplication of the church in 2017? This is what I'm asking you. This is what I'm challenging you to. If you can say yes to Jesus and purpose yourself to live dead, we can see entire families in the greater Lafayette area begin to make decisions for him. I'm convinced of it. So my, my challenge is, can you hear the thousands in this area, thousands who have no relationship with God that are saying, we will live if you will die? That's what the crucified life is, and that is a result of crucified living. I invite you to stand as we close in song this morning. If you're here today, and you've never made a decision to follow God, you've not said, I, I want to follow you, Jesus, for a lifetime, and my challenge for you today is don't leave from this place. Start January 1st, 2017 as a day that you never forget as one dedicating your life to the Lord. So if every head bowed here this morning for just a moment, if you're here and you say, you know what, I have never died to myself so that I can experience new life. I don't have the promise of eternal life, but you'd like to change that today. You'd like the confidence in 2017 that you could leave this life and know that you're guaranteed eternity. If that's you today, I simply invite you to raise your hand so that I can pray with you today. Pray with you to say, I wanna follow Jesus. I wanna devote my life to him. Thank you right here. A couple of rows back in the front. Anybody else? Anybody else to say, that's me. I want to follow God. I don't, I don't want to live just for myself. 
I want to live with the promise of eternity. Anybody else? Let me pray here for a moment. Oh God, we just pray that you would speak into hearts and lives today. If we've devoted our lives to you, may we do it with reckless abandon, not holding anything back. God, may we live in light of eternity. We thank you for the person here today that said, I want to follow you, God. I want the promise of eternity. And so, God, we just rejoice today that on January 1st, this new day of the year, we already have a first fruits. We saw the first fruits of the Greeks in the scripture, and now we see it tangibly right here 2,000 years later. God, may you continue to call people unto yourself. May you call them unto you. And God, may people dedicate their lives to you knowing that they can live for you for a lifetime. Jesus, may we die to ourselves so that others might live. May we not selfishly live for ourselves and just coast into eternity, but may we purpose ourselves to eternity today. In Jesus' name we ask, amen. For the person that raised your hand, and maybe there was others in this room, you didn't raise your hand, but you'd say, I want to know and have a relationship with Jesus. Pastor Jennifer's up here in the front, and she can connect you with a Bible and somebody else to journey with you in Jesus. We don't leave you alone. We want you to know who Jesus is. So I just invite you as we close in song, may we start 2017 as a year that we know we never forget.